Easy game for Bacon. All you need is tickets and chalk. Change the prices, take money and win. Done our dough, chaps. We've done our dough. That's unfair. I would see I would see betting shops return to laying bets as opposed to being mini casinos. And a very warm welcome to the Bastards Inquiry special sermon. My name's Lee Keys, and with me is John Leng. And today we have a very special guest. What a show we have in store, folks. Uh, our special guest today, we pay a very big warm welcome to online and on-course bookmaker, Jeff Banks. Good evening, Jeff. Good evening, guys. Good evening. Evening, John. Um, Jeff will debate with us uh, on this show about the betting industry in general, with a bit of uh, blogger and stallion mixed in, because he loves those two. And uh, throughout the show, we will uh, put the questions that uh, you have asked to Jeff um, with the subjects uh, on on topic. Right, we'll start off, Jeff. Um, obviously, I know who you are. You, obviously, you a uh, very famous famous family line in bookmaking. Um, but for, for our, our listeners that, that don't know yourself, um, just give us a bit of background about how you came into the game and, you know, about your life in general. Okay. Uh, very briefly, obviously, I'm the son of John Banks, who was um, an outstanding bookmaker. I would say he was outstanding in the fact that he... Uh, had a great rapport with his customers um, over many years. He could bet down the back line, and many people tell fond stories of how he would bet down the back line and be absolutely swamped with people. Um, even you know, better pitches were doing the business that he was. He was prepared to be out there. He was um, fearless, uh, known as a fearless gambler. He took people on. Um, he was outspoken. Um, and back in the sort of late 1990s, um, I worked for my father um, uh, mainly on an, in the off-track business, which in those days was just telephones. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I used to answer the telephones for him. I worked in a betting shop for three years for him. Um, and, of course, whenever he went racing, I used to go racing with him, which was always, a, you know, a pleasurable experience. Um, when he retired from <clears throat> the game, um, he... I took over his online business. It wasn't, I have to be honest, it wasn't doing at all well at that time. It was losing money. Uh, He was doing a lot of promotions and that kind of things. And things were starting to change in the industry uh, back in 2000, that sort of time. And I took over his business um, and I think he had 1,100 clients. And I took it over and I whittled those 1,100 clients. My first move was to whittle the 1,100 down to um, 20. And that 20 uh, clients has, over the years, including the online now, has grown to, um, you know, an online operation of over 20,000. Um, but trying to, although that's quite a big number, uh, is still we're still trying to stay away uh, as an online business from the mass market, um, mass marketplace, because um, that really is the domain of uh, super betting companies like uh, Bet365. And I've been doing that now, um, the online part, for about, I would say, probably about a dozen years. Um, yeah. Websites and the apps, and we're continuously developing these things. Um, um, in terms of our pricing strategy, um, it's very simple. We, 
we very much follow Bet365's pricing um, for horse racing and football and things like that. So if you look at our website, you'll find that, that we're competing with them. Why do we do it? Well, they take the lowest margin in the sport. Uh, their margins on Saturdays are seriously punter friendly, but it is a margin. It is a way of operating that has been extremely successful. It's a it's a it's a tried and tested formula. Yes, you bet to smaller margins than what you would do if you were, you know, um, not, for example, offering a, like a best odds guaranteed service bolted on top, uh, which knocks six percent off your margin immediately. Um, and but we find it very successful um, and we know we don't just match their prices on, you know, on a day to day basis. Overall, our margin is slightly less than bet three sheet five for horse racing um, and it's continuously updated during the course of the day. So um, that's a brief resume what I do. Obviously, I've got the the on course business, which is more of a, a social thing, I think is fair to say. It isn't something that's going to make uh you know i'm not going to be driving around in any yellow rolls royces out of the profits from on course bookmaking anymore and yeah. i think as you know guys um, a lot of major bookmakers have departed distressingly from the on course market william hill no longer there lad books um i was at uh, york recently a number of notable bookmakers that you know uh, you know ring bookmakers and rails bookmakers that normally you expect to see there are no longer there we don't see the likes of David Power, one of the greatest bookmakers in Ireland. We don't see him there. I didn't see Johnny Wrigley. Um, as I say, Labrooks and Corals and all of the, I think, sorry, I think Corals are still there, but um, Labrooks are out of the game. Pills are out of the game. A uh, number of, you know, and, and a lot of major companies that we used to recognize on the on-course market have now um, completely departed. And that's a bit of a shame, but I, I still enjoy going racing. Um, you know, I love the sport. Um, fine. I have plenty to say about um, how it's run, but there's nothing wrong with being outspoken these days, I don't believe. Uh, can, I can I just ask you, Jeff? Um, yeah. I think some of our listeners might be, be wondering, you said when you took over, you whittled down the amount of customers. Yeah. What, what, what was the thinking behind that? Essentially, my my father, God love him, he didn't, in these later years, he spent a lot of time in Las Vegas, more time in Las Vegas than what he spent over in the UK. And he kind of lost focus as to um, as to his business. And a lot of his customers, even at that time, even pre-Betfair and things like that, were um, I, I mainly customers that he had done business with for a while, but no longer paid their bills. And in those yeah. days, John, it was it was not like it is these days. When a customer bets with me, he funds his account in advance. Yeah. There is no trying to win two battles here, try to beat the customer uh, financially, yeah. but, but also to get paid. Yeah. And many of the customers that my father was doing business with at that time owed him money. Uh, they were still on his books and they were you know merrily betting away if they won they collected their checks if they didn't win they um they they didn't pay and so it, it was it was a pay, pay thing. yeah yeah the, the I, mean, I mean people who bet regularly they didn't have to lose or win but it, they they bet regularly and they paid their bills yeah and that was what it was no fair comment 
I mean, I mean, I mean like you say, it's an interesting point by John there, you know, why you would cut, but exactly that. If it, and I think most people know punters these days that they've run up big bills on credit and, and haven't paid. It's, yeah. that's the thing. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shrewd manoeuvre. Um, just going just going back, uh, back Jeff, um, I can remember a time when a speculative bid um, was declared a late non-runner. And it, this made me howl. You know, not not for you, obviously, I, I got your point. You, know, you were very angry about it. Declared yeah. a late non-runner um, by the Ascot. Uh, and I can remember, I can remember your you rantings and, and you actually took the BHA to court yeah um for you know for basically losses um and how did that go i actually never followed up with that how how did that all go what was it like taking the bha to court uh, some people um obviously clearly don't don't didn't understand the the, the background of a case like that first of all the bha uh, under nick rust and it was nick rust's decision he told me candidly he made the decision to fight the case so it was entirely the decision of the CEO of British Racing to take me on. Um, it started off as a small claim for less than £300. Okay, that was all that I had lost. But it was, for me, it was a matter of principle. We put over uh, my wife and I now. Uh, she's an experienced lawyer. Uh, and we put over 14 months of hard work into the preparation of this case because the BHA itself, uh, they had um, they had to have spent a minimum of 50 grand um, on lawyers and barristers in fighting this case for 250 pounds. Instead of picking up the phone to me and saying, oh, come on, Jeff, you know, we're sorry about what happened here. Here's 250 quid to our favorite charity. Can we just move on? They didn't do that. They just basically took the you know, the overarching view, um, the snobbish view that they weren't going to be taken on by a bookmaker uh, and they were going to fight it. And it's fair to say they uh, came off extremely in an extremely poor light. They lost the case um, in the court, hands down. There was never any doubt about it. Um, at that point, um, I, Nick Rust, asked to meet and discuss a settlement with me and I did agree to a settlement and if you ask why I then agreed to settle the case which I was fighting on the point of principle you have to bear in mind that they had already spent 50 grand they would continue to spend probably in excess of another 100 grand in appealing case and taking the case forward on and they weren't fighting on what actually happened they were fighting on what's called a duty of care which horse racing likes to run the sport and be seen as the arbiter of the sport, but they were arguing that they, they didn't want to be responsible for the decisions that they make in running the sport. It was a ridiculous um, argument and one they were very likely to lose. But had I taken the case forward and if I had lost on points of law for a £250 case, I would have been faced with my own legal bills, which would have been no less than 60 grand, and their legal bills on top which had been no less than 150 grand. So on a point of principle, the chances were that if I got it, if we got it wrong, that it would cost well in excess of 200 grand. So if you ask why I agreed to settle at that time, it was the right, uh, if you like, a horrible word, but commercial 
and sensible decision to make because nothing in courts is ever worth fighting out to the very bitter end you know guys it's just not yeah so so what what happened after that because i i read that other bookmakers obviously suffered losses that day what happened to the other bookmakers what did they do they did nothing did nothing they, they did nothing they, they, there were one or two that supported and put some, you know, and offered me money, not much money, but they did offer. I wasn't really interested in that, but uh, there were one or two like that. But the vast majority, um, bookmakers really stand together, especially the on-course market is something that I've never, you know, I've never really understood. There's lots of, the Irish are much better than the UK bookmakers, funny enough. You know, you see Irish bookmakers, they strike. Uh, they, 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 they striked in Dundalk, as you might recall, over conditions set by the racetrack. And so the Irish bookmakers do tend, tend to stand together. But British bookmakers, including the large firms that were betting on track, they had a huge opportunity to put the British Horse Racing Authority on notice to make them responsible for decisions that they make. And you guys know, as same as me, how many times it happens that they get things wrong. A photo is called the wrong way. You know, a steward's inquiry is called badly or, yeah. you know, and something happens in the sport which costs people money. It might be the bookmakers or it might be the punters. And the BHA, the opportunity was there for the bookmakers, notably the big bookmakers, to make the BHA responsible to owe everybody in betting on both sides of the cake um, to make them responsible for the decisions that they made as the arbiter of the sport. And but. I was not backed by the other bookmakers. They didn't come in behind me, perhaps because it was me. I <laughs> did <laughs> <laughs> the case. Um, but, you know, the, funny enough, the only big company that actually wrote to me in a very positive light was Bet365. And Bet365 at that time wrote me, wrote me a very nice letter and said, we would like to support you. But at the moment, we're fighting a battle with BHA over the levy. And we only wanted to fight one battle at a time. But the rest of the big companies basically left me to stand on my own two feet. I mean, clearly, they, they had a massive opportunity to protect their own business interests when the BHA get it wrong. And by the way, as far as the punters are concerned, there must be many punters out there who've been on the wrong end of things that the, of decisions that the BHA have made, their stewards, which is often very amateurish. Um, and they still continue to employ amateur stewards. Um, and so the, the punters are on the wrong end of it, but people decided for their own reasons not to back me. And uh, it was part of my decision, well, if they're not prepared to back me, I, uh, there's no reason for me to be out on a limb here on my own, fighting something, something on behalf of the whole industry when they're not backing me. No, very interesting. No, it's, it's a side that I've I've never never heard. So so, so thanks for that. Um, there, there there is a there is a question um, from from uh, uh, David that's a, a very good listener of ours, and he said, "What what did you make of your father's ban by the Jockey Club in 1978 of the John John Frankham affair?" Um, this was a, funny enough. The name of the horse that was involved here, which ran at Sandown, was called Stopped. which probably given the very amateur nature of stewarding over the years um i mean on no personal disrespect but it is as as we know some of the things that go on in the race course stewarding is just bizarre and and for some unknown reason racing has never chosen to 
engage professional stewarding or to centralize it in an office with experienced panels who only you know so there's a consistency in this sport they they actively resist doing that it's jobs for the boys as we know and that's the way it's always been in sport it's not productive uh, it isn't good for the sport but essentially the, you know this horse called stopped they 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 looked at his books they found nothing um but they still prosecuted him how we found him guilty of associations with john frankham um and uh warned him off for three years commuted to two now um so did they find that it was there any evidence for anything that they did for the decision they made no there was none he produced his books to say that he had actually lost and their case was therefore um unproven they had no had, they had no financial evidence and they had no 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 documentary evidence no telephone records or things like that as you might have perhaps these days however did my father talk to bookmate uh, to jockeys at a time when he was not supposed to talk to jockeys yes he did all the time um he spoke to uh, every major jockey um of the time at that time were uh, it was almost an open house some of the biggest jockeys in the game, and I do mean biggest jockeys in the game. What about so, the chairman? So was there, was there smoke without, was there smoke, there was, there, was plo, there was plenty of smoke. My father was associated with jockeys and he got inside information and he, uh, he was, uh, you know, he, he, in the same way as, as information goes around these days, he was on the other side of the fence in those days. And yes, he did associate with jockeys, but they, they, they 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 were right in a way to put him off, but they but for the wrong reasons. What what about the trainers, Jeff? Did did he have many associations with trainers? I I've heard a bit of anecdotal stuff about his involvement with Ken Payne. Yeah, he's a, he, well, my my father was a larger than life character, John. In the, and as was Ken Payne. Yes, I thought. Yeah. And, you know, you know, if you cut, you know, many of the greatest the greatest figures in racing, the Barney Curleys. You know, and, and these kind of people are, are, are flamboyant. They 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 push the envelope of what's legal in sport, um, and, and 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 that's part. It's always been part and parcel of racing. Slightly murky, um, you know, slightly murky um, dealings. It goes on all the time. Has gone on all the time. Horses are run down the park every single day in, in, in uh, every single race. So this is nothing new. We can deny it that it goes on, but it goes on all of the time. You won't, you won't find us denying it. <laughs> no, of course. And, 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 you know, trainers put, you know, trainers these days, trainers, put, you know, come out with nice expressions like, you know, well, we're, you know, we're getting, you know. Getting and if you today's a bonus and all that, yeah, we, yeah. we, we get all that sort of cobblers. Yeah, they found virtuous ways to describe the fact that, you know, although I think one of the rules of sport is a bit draconian, one in which every horse must run on its merits and everything else like that. Well, you know, sometimes you do clearly have horses that will have targets um, and maybe, you know, you could modify that rule slightly to allow for a trainer, for example, to admit that, say, for example, a horse is only 80 percent fit. Um, you know, and, and has another target in mind that maybe be, you know, be a bit but more... Gosden Mike's telling you they're only 80% fit when they've won, and that tells you what a good trainer he is, you know. He, yeah. he yeah. likes to rub it in. Yeah. But as we know, you know, that you know, trainer, trainers are... 
trainers are, you know, they're experts in their game, um, have a healthy respect for, um, you know, particularly the smaller trainers who's, you know, survived in, in, in extremely difficult circumstances, hard to get paid these days, hard to get new, new owners to come to anybody other than John Gosden or Willie Mullins, you know, and uh, I'm, I, I have a healthy respect for the small trainers doing their absolute best and whenever they win a big race, it's something to be celebrated. It shows that they do have the talent. If given the if given the stop, many of these trainers um, are right up there in terms of ability. Uh, you know, as your John Gustins of this world. Jeff, I mean, do, do you do you use uh, sort of like uh, inside inside information to, to run your books at the moment? Do do you have any sort of like good contacts, etc., or or do you, do you do you solely just just follow? The prices make a book. Would you believe me if I said no? Never. Right. Just just wonder what your position was in this day and no, age. I, I have been approached by um, I have been approached by uh, people. Fun enough, I was approached by. I remember one guy who will remain nameless who approached me once, asking me to if he could fund my Betfair account in the time when it would be very easy to do that. Um, and I told him, no, absolutely not. And he was subsequently, less than a year later, warned off by the BHA. They did find out about him. Um, but I've also been approached privately by jockeys over the years. Um, not many, but I've never been interested in that kind of thing. I've made money in spite of um, that which goes on in life. Um, it's just never been, never been, never been my my game. Uh, okay, fine. My father was thick as thieves into it. Um, it was part of his part of his his character. It was his part of his makeup. It was part of what made him the the you know, or in many ways larger than the sport at the time. Um, but for me, it's never been of interest. Um, you know, it's never been never been the way that I've made money. Yeah. I've oh, focused, good answer. I focus on my I focus on the needs of my of my customers, and and that's a not a glib statement. It's just something that I have always done. I've always focused on the individual customers um, that bet with me, and many of them have bet with me for an awful long time. <clears throat> okay, so let, let's get on to the, the sort of nitty gritty now of, of of the betting industry part part of the uh, the debate. And I mean, th- this is something that that sort of you know boils my piss, if you like. Um, the changes changes in bookmaking. Um, you know, like I watch videos of Phil Bull going down the line, etc. You know, I, 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 I've experienced it myself. You know, I'm obviously quite older. Yeah, you know, I've been on course in the 80s, 90s, um, and you know, it was a completely different game back then, except before Betfair. But why, why now can can punters just not get? a fair bet at a fair price. I mean, th- th- this is the thing that I think everyone can't understand. Um, you know, a lot of people that bet just say, well, you know, why have I been refused? Um, what, 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 what do you think's happened to make, to, to, to basically make the sport where it's ra- rather ref- refusing punters than accepting punt bets? Um, I, I, I get your point. I stood on the on the rails with my father and never re- recall him ever turning down a bet. In those days, there was no reason to turn down a bet. Most of the favourites that would have run in, you know, your, do- your, your run of the mill races of those days were probably the wrong favourites. Mm. Um, and and I used to remember people like Michael Tabor, 
Now, coming down the line and giving my dad bets 10 and 20 grand on this, and and my father would take him on all of the time, no problem. Nowadays, um, I couldn't back a horse with Michael Tabor's firm, with VC bet, whatever they're called, uh, to win over a grand. Um, that's not because I'm onto them every morning for morning prices or any other nonsense, or that I've ever shown a profit for my own little personal, having a few fun bets myself. Um, over many years, I've probably been doing, you know, had an account with VC Bet for like two decades. So I do understand the nature of the problem. But things <clears throat> um, are, if if I could put it this way, rather blown out of proportion by social medias like Twitter. You see a lot of anonymous characters, and they are anonymous. Um, they don't use their own names, like John or Bill or you know or, or the trader. Um, who who are endlessly um, complaining about the fact that they can't get bets with bookmakers and they, they joke with each other. When you, when you actually boil down to nitty gritty of what they're telling you, they're telling you that they've got many accounts um, with these bookmakers. They're opening up many accounts and basically it's because they're finding that as each avenue gets closed off, they open up another one and another one and another one and they're paying people to do that kind of thing. What has changed to create that landscape where these guys um, are so vocal? Um, and I just want to make one one thing clear. I do believe right to my very core of my being that, that well in excess of, say, 95% of all bettors get exactly what they want. Whether they win or whether they lose is not important. The, the, the most casual investors just get exactly what they want. So this is not a this is not the huge problem that it is being with respect being appears that it appears to be. Um, most people get their bets. No problem. I could show you my own books. I'm not going to. I'm allowed to. But I could show you my own books and you would be surprised at how small it is. The, the percentage of people who come on board with us who do end up getting restricted, but they make a hell of a noise um understandably to in a way um if they should get restricted in any way shape or form what changed the landscape was essentially betting exchanges betting exchanges were the very first medium that allowed a punter to trade with the bookmaker and the word is trade not bet um and show a profit regardless of how um how he operated i'll give you a very simple example which i'm sure you're familiar with um, we would offer, for example, we offered in the Cheltenham Festival extra places in, a, in either throughout the Cheltenham Festival. This was about two or three years ago. And we were beset by people opening up new accounts, lots of them, thousands of new accounts. Um, basically, what they were doing is they would bet three and four horses per race at the Cheltenham Festival each way. And all they were doing was laying those bets back. And if the horses ran into the extra place that we allowed, they would get paid by us and they would not have to lay the contra bet on the exchange. So basically it was gravy. And on top of that, they were as traders, they would always seek out um, prices that maybe have expired on the betting exchange and they get a slight advantage before they even start. Now that situation, that's just one example of many uh, tools and tricks they're not tricks right, in terms of nothing. <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with what they're doing. But I mean, the, the, the methodology of these people use in order to guarantee to lock in a profit. And that is what's changed. Um, these 
So these people, uh, and there are you know plenty of people that are sitting at home, um, uh, engaged in this activity, in my view, have to accept their situation that it is part and parcel of the game that bookmakers are not going to, aff to afford a business to somebody else running of their business via with them as the conduit. Um, their bookmakers are not going to um, allow these people to remain long on their platforms once they've been identified, simply because every single bet that that customer gives you has to be at the top of the market and better than the top of the market because they're only ever going to give you a bet when you are out of line with other bookmakers and notably with the betting exchange. That, mm. That's what, you know, I, I understand it irks some people and I see, you know, a lot of a lot of complaints on Twitter and everything else like that about people getting restricted and they're very hostile. Um, and I understand that, you know, the hostility, but the hostility is based on the fact that we are we are basically closing off an avenue of profit to them and they don't like it. Yeah, but I mean, this this is the thing, right? I would I would say, and and this this is this is my experience of the game, that the reason why only I would say five percent of punters make it pay, or roughly to that figure, is the reason that they can't control themselves, right? That discipline is a, is is probably the most underrated factor in any person's betting right you 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 know you know you know this because punters will will back back a winner or back a winner or two and they'll study the form they'll get the price that they'll, they'll fleece you they'll have four to one about a seven to four chance whatever which you know long term's no good however this is where i have a problem with bookmakers uh suspending accounts or or not bothered after a few bets right you have not you have not experienced that punter on the needle day where he's at, he's had an even monkey one that's got a terrible ride. It's it's won by a short head but got got disqualified in a steward's inquiry. He's got the needle, and then the next bet is is the chase. And th this is the thing for for years I have seen it. I have seen it. I mean, I, I do it for a living. I do, I've done it myself. I, I, I've had the needle. There's times when I have had the needle and I have, you know, I, I've, I've done things I shouldn't. And that's that's my point, that the majority of the betting public cannot control themselves. And that's how betting is. That's why there's not many people left standing at the final bell. And, well, and this is... You're right. The, you, you, I, I, I get the point you make. There are people and... This is one of the reasons why, again, I will tell you very honestly, we try to give people a much bigger uh, amount of crack with us, if that's the that's the, the right word, um, when they bet with us. And we, if we ever have to factor somebody, they don't, it, you know, the big firms will be able to factor somebody within what within between one and three bets, within one and three bets with their software, they are able to identify traders. Extremely rapidly and close them down within a couple of bets. We don't do that. First of all, we don't employ that. We don't use that kind of software to 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 spy on people, cookies, and everything else that uh, that that some of the big firms get up to. <clears throat> um, we give people a much much longer spell with us before um, 
we have to modify their account. And if you ask how is the accounts modified, I mean, I read somebody saying yesterday that he rung up my office and he was told that he would only be able to have two pounds each way and all this kind of nonsense. I mean, is this kind of these kind of stories are just a wheeze. They're just it's just nonsense. What how we restrict people is by if we find, for example, somebody who beats us consistently on the price, we will find a way to structure the pricing that they can take. Maybe it's time dependent. Maybe we'll only let them lay them at board prices or something like that, which we use quite, uh, quite a lot with people who are trading. We will restrict them to say board price only as opposed to allowing them the oxygen of being able to bet overnight or you know first thing in the morning that kind of thing where the market is extremely fluid we will what we will allow them only to bet a board price when the market has settled down and where the bets that they're placing are nearer to the correct price for the horse and at the end of the day no business is going to um, you know i would be i would be a shocking businessman if i allowed somebody out of sheer arrogance to continue to bet with me because he's betting four to one about something at seven to four and this kind of thing happens a lot when they're when they're in no um I, I get your point about that there are people that are undisciplined but what i'm talking about the people that are restricted with us and we will get it wrong i i, I completely admit that we we will have had customers that we may have factored we may have put on sp only we might put on board price only or something like that or removed their best odds guarantee or something like that we don't we tend not to uh, we don't like to restrict a customer to bet to bet a horse with us to lose anything less than 100 pounds so that's bigger than most firms if we yeah. if it gets to less than 100 pounds we will just close them and i will tell you that we, we close very few accounts because once you remove their ability to to take that four to one that's at 9 a.m in the morning and you and you turn around and you're, you're basically saying to them well we're going to let you bet only at the truer price of the selection, um, that is just simply sound business. It, 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 of course, it, 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 it takes away their profit. It takes away their, their, their trading angle, if you like. I, I promise you, we will get things wrong. We will have people that we have factored, and I, I freely admit that we would get it wrong. They, they've just gone on a bit of a run with us, and we've looked at it, and they've had 10 bets, and nine of them or eight of them have been beaten us on the price that kind of thing or it's usually much longer than that by the way um, um and so we we do give people a much longer crack of the whip and we are trying only to filter out those people because a lot of people are extremely you may not be john but a lot of people are extremely disciplined about their trading they 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 will only give you a bet when they can beat you on the price when they know the price is has evaporated on the betting exchanges notably um and jeff that, i mean i mean that's very disciplined that's different i mean i mean if they're, they're always trying to penny pinch the price i.e they're only betting with you when you're top price etc etc I, I i get this I, I i get this from from your point of view and i'm not you know i'm not here to roast you and say but i mean at the end of the day you, you know if if you if you, are, are, I mean, I've had plenty of messages, and this is the reason I'm putting this question is because it's pointless. You know, it's pointless abuse. Uh, you, you know, I've had plenty of questions saying that Jeff doesn't take a bet. Jeff banned me after three bets. Blah blah blah. And I know what you're saying. It's easy thing to say. Yeah. Um, like on, they would, on, they would any, they wouldn't attack any bookmaker. You know, despite yeah. that I'm more outspoken. I mean, I have people that attack me on Twitter. Oh, you don't do this. You don't do that. 
and I look them up and I can't even find they've even got an account. I mean, it's just, you know, but people will, of course, rant at, rant at something that where, you know, where they're, where they're, you know, the gravy has been removed from their plate. But he's, right, the thing is, right, race, when, when, I, when I was growing up, um, racing was sold to me as a dream. My father was a bookmaker. I worked for my father on course, um, clerking and tic-tacking. Um, and so I got, I got a good grounding, good grounding to the game. Yeah. And um, as, as times pass by, um, I, I'm struggling to see an upside for the punter. The, the, the thing is, you, I, I was sold the dream as a youngster. I paid £100 for two years with the sporting lives to study the the back form, the, the, the you know, the, the just the reading of, of trainers' comments, just every, learning the game. And and it, it's things like that. There's no more dream. You know, Clive Holt, uh, be a successful punter with fine form as your guide. You know, everyone would read that as a youngster or coming into the game. And I think that's what's sad now that, that there's no dream for an, for a punter anymore. It, it, it simply is if you show a bit of form, you know that's it. You, you, you're out of there. Um, I think I think you need I think you need to properly divide. You know you can't use the word punter to describe everybody. And I think this is the part of the misconception. If you with respect, you know a punter is somebody who for want of a better expression, picks up the paper, studies the form, maybe. He may he may be involved in a group of people who study form and are very good at it. But in the main, you know, uh, they, they they will study the form and they'll look at it and they, they'll have their bet and it'll be uh, it'll be us against them. And it's it, everybody's got a fair crack of whip. Some hunters are more inspired than others. They put more work into it and, and, and they may make it pay. Um, but where you have to divide those type of customers with those that are trading for profit and, and are there to lock in a profit by employing sophisticated tools and, and exchanges and match betting that goes on an awful lot. Um, there's an awful lot of match betting out there and people matching their bets. As soon as they have the bet with us, they're having a, they're having a contra bet back on the exchange, locking a profit. And they're doing that rapidly. As many times a day and they can make very significant profits and i think in any conversation what i'm asking you to accept to, for people to accept or listen to this podcast this, this fun podcast i hope is to try to divide between the two what is a genuine punter and what is a trader and you know traders are basically doing the same job as me with respect and when you're doing the same job as me <laughs> Um, we are going to filter you out because if you're trading uh, and you're in business, you're trying to run a business off mine or and companies like mine, because, of course, we're all uh, having to factor people these days. So that's where we need to, you know, to, to, to divide the two, the two types of people. It never used to happen in the past, not in my dad's day. You know, there, there were more inspired punters. You talk about Phil Ball, Michael Tabor. Um, J.P. McManus and these kind of things going up and down the rail, but essentially it was your opinion and their opinion uh, against their opinion. There was no betting exchange. There was no hundred percent books as there is these days. You know, bookmakers would be bet to an appreciable margin, a good profit margin, and as I say, there wasn't the level of information as is as is pumped into the average race in a betting exchange show, which is which is a which is like a hotchpotch 
of various factors to arrive at an absolute price for a particular horse. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, so, so, so I mean, just, just to basically ask you a question then. Um, so somebody like myself, um, if I came to you at midday and you know asked for a wager, um, what would you say to me? Would your as long as your stakes are reasonably consistent, we, we, we. We are extremely good layers. We may not be as vocal as Ben from Star Sports and telling everybody what Betsy lays and all the rest of this, this, this stuff that goes on all the time and him saying, oh, I've laid an even hundred grand. We, we're not so we, we're not vocal on what we lay, but we do lay very hefty bets every single day. And many of those bets are caught often to people we don't know. You know, well, I'm not talking about laying bets to people that we do know. Oh, we beat them all the time, so we lay them big bets, and that's fine. We are we are extremely good layers. We are at the top of the market in terms of the prices from from the betting companies. If you follow Bet 365's prices, you are aggressive. You are competitive in today's environment because they are the most competitive firm out there. We offer a best odds guaranteed service that many of the little independents do not offer. And that is a significant bonus plus for, for the for the betting customer. So we 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 have you know we last last week throughout York we were giving money back for any horse that finished second, you know. So that went throughout the meeting and I, with one or two with a few races accepted like very small fields but that didn't happen often at York. So it was always we were always trying to give a little bit of a tonic for the customer. I get. You know that the traders, what I call the traders, I don't mean that any disrespect to anybody, but if you are trading, accept that that's what you do for a living. And if you get, if the bookmaker closes you down, smile because you've done well, because you've made a profit, you've 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 shown that you've shown a profit. Everybody's gone well with your business. Smile and gently move on. And rather than coming on Twitter and yelling, you know, because you know, a Billy Billy blogger. Um, you know, uh, oh, these bookmakers close me down and they're all tossers and all this kind of stuff. It's it's a bit pointless. It's boring. You know, you're in business. We're in business. We are going to filter you out if if it's apparent that you're running a business off of ours. So, so, so basically what you're saying is that anyone that shows winning form will be gone. No. No. So, no. so, so it is possible. It's largely, so, yeah, it's no, it's not. It's not winning form. We don't close people. We have lots. Of, we have, I think, over in the average year, at least at least thirty percent of our customers win. You know, if we were to close all our client base, those that win off us in throughout the year, we, we wouldn't have much of a business by the end of the year. People will show a profit off you. It isn't down to that. It is where you notice that somebody and it's by the way it's really crystal clear it, this is not there's there's a lot of this a lot of the people that do get factored is very crystal clear you can look at it they've had 20 30 bets and they the, the the discipline that they lack is that for many of them is that they they don't hide any of what they're doing they they just arb 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 for example if it's an arbing account uh, or they trade for example the extra places or whatever their whatever their angle is and they do that all of the time you know when you talk about the discipline a lot of the traders who end up getting factored are not very disciplined in that they don't mask carefully that which they get up to they're too transparent 
uh, you know, and, and the, the best traders, those that really survive, that sit under the radar, are very clever about how they go about it. Not every bet has to beat the bookmaker sideways on price. <laughs> they're they're yeah. very good at it. And there are plenty of people out there who are successful and they earn my respect because they do stay under the radar. And there will be people listening to this podcast who have made money out of my firm for many years and still sitting under the radar um, and with their accounts open. It isn't a win and lose thing. It is, it's easy to look upon it that way, but we don't close accounts because they happen to win. We close accounts if we look at something we forecast that they're endlessly going to beat us on the price and we can lay that horse, dog, football team at less consistently, you know, because it's just poor business just to be continuously laying one person the prices that are evidently wrong. And, you know, people act as if they have a right. Oh, well, you know, you put that price up, Jeff, and I took that price and you didn't, you know, you complain to me about what it, well, but you do that every day and every race. So, you know, how long do you expect me to continue to keep you, you know, keep you in eggs and bacon on your table every morning? It'd be realistic, you know, be respectful of each other's position, which is important. You know, respect, respect, I respect your view. You're going to try and run a business off me. And but you must respect my view, which is, well, if we find you, if we detect you, we, we're obviously going to factor you by basically our number one medium for people that we do end up unfortunately having to restrict. And it's a very small percentage is by um, uh, the price what, when they can bet with us. Um, or whether they're even able to take a price from this. For example, will any, a starting price only would be uh, essentially maximum restriction for us. It's not about the money or how much they get on. It's about what price they take. So, so basically what you're saying is it, it's, it's the people that always want the top price. They want to fleece you in the morning, blah, blah, blah. Um, they're the and ones. Yeah, yeah. They're, proud to, they're proud to do it. They'll come on Twitter in their, in their anonymous names and they'll they'll – you know, they'll blag about it. They'll, they're, they're very proud and they think they're very clever. Um, and some of them are very clever in the manner in which they do things. But some of them are just not very clever. They're very transparent. They, you know, they don't put a lot of effort into, you know, keeping the account open. And that's the key. Key is to be clever enough to have the account open. If you want to be a good, a really good trader, you, you, you don't fleece the bookmaker all of the time. You don't make it obvious that you always have to have an edge, that the, the concept of the bookmakers, you know, bored of you because you essentially are always beating them on the price. You're clever about it. You know, you, you, you have to be clever about it these days. You have to be. It's a bit of give and take. And at the end of the day, you accept your wage. Not yeah. so, so basically, your, your key algorithm for, for punters going forward is if you're beating the price by some way, um, obviously, over yeah. probably an average of between 20, a minimum of 20 and say a maximum of 50 bets. There you go, folks. You know, so, we, we, could, we could we could, you know, we could adopt a much more draconian system. And, and you know, have there been people that have been restricted who have had less than 20 bets? Yeah, but it's but it's a seriously tiny fraction of one percent. Thank you, Jeff Banks, for your answers on that topic. Right, we we move on to, to our next part where we've kind of over the pudding on that, but never mind. Uh, we're on to the future of on-course bookmaking, Jeff. 
And oh. and I mean, you know, I, I've got my grave concerns because because in the old days it was Big Mac and it was um, you know we had characters in the ring and you know we had we we used to beat the betting tax on course. It was a fantastic, vibrant arena back in the day. What's the future now for on-course bookmaking? What does Jeff Banks do? If, if you were in charge now, what what ha, what can we do to revitalise on-course bookmaking? It's a, as it stands, right. That I mean, I want my colleagues on track to prosper. Clearly, I do. I have, I have many people that I've associated with on track, that I have many friends that I love chatting to on the racetrack. I'm sure there are, you know, that there are people that, that you know, I, I would like them to survive um, as an industry. I think racetracks have to, I don't think, I think racetracks have a, do, not not all of them, some of them are very progressive, but many racetracks still continue to look down on bookmakers. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I, the, the man that works for me, one of my my uh, my chief lieutenant on track, is a 78 year old man who's being asked to go to racetracks at 10 o'clock in the morning in order to pitch up for the first race that doesn't start till well past one o'clock in the afternoon by some racetracks. The racetracks might ask the bookmakers to park half a mile away from the racetrack and. Um, for and, and make them and charge them for the privilege as well, and they're, they're pushing all this heavy gear around, whatever. The the the, the bookmakers not only generate enormous amount of fees for racetracks, but they are actually the very engine of that racetrack's business. They are the very fabric um, of British racing. Anybody that goes racing in France knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's soulless. It's utterly soulless. So the, the on-course bookmakers, they can be a bit grubby, they can be a bit shabby, but at the end, of, you know, in terms of their dress sense and their attitude sometimes, but at the end of the day, they are the very central draw of any racetrack. And I, I mean, I appeal to racetracks to treat them better than what they're being treated right now. By the same token, I think the bookmakers on course have to get real. And this is this is one area that I've engaged with a few bookmakers on Twitter who, who are my colleagues and everything else like that. If you if you do not recognize that the the threat of the online market, they're doing the same job as you when customers are going on racetracks with betting apps in their hand with mobile phones. And if you do not compete head on with the online market and the offers that they're making, the price is strategies that they have and the same each way terms and possibly a few extra places from time to time, then you are then you are a poor businessman. Your business will go nowhere because you are simply not competing. You, and then this is why what I've noticed over the last decade is a serious decline in the amount of money that bookmakers turn over on racetracks. And and it's it, it's a very serious situation. They often take less than five hundred pounds per race in turnover, and uh, at the smaller meetings, and that just basically is barely, if 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 at all, a functioning business. It's almost impossible to trade a profit. You're, you know, you're working for 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 minuscule margins, and it can go badly wrong, as you know. Like you get several favourites in a row, you, it could go badly wrong. 
But the bookmakers have to recognize the threat from the online market and find ways to to compete with them um, in order to restore um, confidence of particularly larger bettors returning to racetracks and actually having a bet. Because they, who's going to have that's, a, that's in any way educated as a punter? Who's going to have 500 or 1,000 with a bookmaker if he's offering, say, or he say is 500 each way in the Ebor, and the bookmaker's betting to a fifth of the odds in the Ebor handicap, as they do? Um, you know, who's going to have that bet with the on-course bookmaker when he can have the same bet with Bet365 at a quarter of the odds, may even get an extra place, and will also um, maybe maybe get a free bet afterwards, um, and will get best odds guaranteed bolted on top. Now, these are all things that my firm certainly offers as an online operation. And when I went to York this week, I offered best odds guaranteed throughout the meeting to any better at York who came up to any bet up to £200 win or £200 each way. These are the kind of things that bookmakers on track need to be doing in order to restore their turnover, to, to, to encourage the largest staking punters who are vital to the bookmakers to return to the betting rings. But, but, okay. why, but why, don't, why don't bookmakers bet to an opinion? What, what, what's gone wrong with them? I mean, I mean, there's been some great bookmakers in the past that have bet to opinion. And th- this is the problem for me, that you need a USP. You need a U- you've just, you've more or less highlighted it. You need a unique selling point. And for me, um, the way forward is simply to offer value that doesn't exist on the off course. This is to stop looking in your Betfair machines. This is to get an opinion. Um, I mean, like arseholes, everyone's got one. Um, and to basically, you know, generate, think a punter can say, oh, I went on course today at York or Catterick or Ascot or anywhere and said, I got five to two this. Um, it was only two to one in the offices, nine to four. Um, when I got five to two because a bookmaker stood out on a limb. They're all just bean counters looking at the machine. Yeah. You know, just bet into the machine, Jeff. Yes, I know. It, and it is, it is exceptionally boring to the customers in many ways, especially the educated punters. And we have to consider them notably because they're the ones that are going to come, for example, racing midweek. You know, they're not the, you know, you're not your casual race girl that might only turn up on a Saturday. Um, they're very educated punters. And when they go along a line and they see 74, 74, 74, 74, you can understand why it's a, they, they consider it's a, well, this is a cartel here. I mean, you know, I don't need to go on racetracks. I can just sit at home uh, in my underpants and have the same bet or with Betfair, and I won't get 74. I might get uh, uh, 15 to 8, for example, on my money, because I know the bookmakers are betting pretty hard up on Betfair, but I can probably still get a little bit of value. So what's the point in having a bet with a bookmaker? And it is boring. It is a boring system, but it's 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 just, it's laziness on a part of a lot on, on some part of some bookmakers. And in the other, and for many of them, is is latent inexperience. Men, most firms on racetracks these days are not grounded, you know, in the kind of training that I had. For example, I'm not just talking about myself, but there are many, you know, who uh, who grew up in the industry and learnt about coupled odds and margins and percentages and 
you know, and one was good to be laying each way, one was not, and everything else like that. And, you know, I, I used to, my dad used to drive me down to Brighton Dogs every night, and he would drill me, school me to look, just look at a board without any computers or anything else like that, because it didn't exist in those days, and appraise what the betting margin is. And sort of turn around to me and say, well, right, pick these three horses at three different prices, tell me what the couple dogs are, and, and that kind of thing. That was my training. And I did that for, you know, for when I, you know, I worked for him on track for maybe around about 10 years, you know, uh, on and off whenever he was in the country. And that was my ground. That was my training. But the average bookmaker these days doesn't have that kind of training. The average bookmaker only understands the bet that he takes and the price on the betting exchange. He uses the betting exchange to increase his margin. And that is a functioning business. But unfortunately, it is a business that is in notable decline. Yeah, I mean, what would you say to Carl Berry's question here? You know, he's, he's a bet fair trader, um, and, and he's quite a, quite a poem question. He said, "What's it like to inherit one of the highest profile bookie brands in the country, and then watch it fizzle away while sunk, sulking about bet fair and traders every week?" Well, I think I had this conversation. Khan, um you know, with respect to him. Uh, I've been telling him for years that Betfair is a bubble and that it was going to burst. And anybody that looks at Betfair's figures, anybody that watches the NFL on a Sunday night and tries to have bet on Betfair is going to struggle to find any markets, any liquidity whatsoever on the betting exchange. And it won't be another decade before Betfair as a, as a medium disappears completely. It is it, there is a diminishing number of markets where Betfair's power still re- retains some power, and there is not enough liquidity in the market to keep any more than one exchange going, as you know. So, you know, football matches, for example, cricket matches to tend to do well, but, you know, even if you go to Cheltenham, it's rare if you can back, say, a 12 to 1 chance and have more than 20 quid on at the price, at the at the available price at any, at any one time. And I've been saying this to Khan, I said this to him, well, you know, probably more than more than five years ago, um, that this that the, the, the prognosis for Betfair is not a good one. And by the way, this was something that Brian Corcoran, who 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 was the CEO of Betfair, when he when he moved over to take over that company, um, saw for himself, and he transformed the company from being a betting exchange principally to a sports book, as you know. So they recognized the signs, the, the lack of turnover on their exchange for themselves. They knew that it was that those that were laying were basically companies, um, you know, laying bets at cyber speeds and everything else like that. And as you know, they put them on, you know, draconian commission rates and that kind of thing. So Betfair has not long to go. But unfortunately, you know, as far as far as as far as my business is flying. I have a I have an exceptional business, so I don't have anything to defend from him. He's just, maybe he's just a little bit jealous. But the bottom line is that, <laughs> I, that I started from I started from very small beginnings, and I've grown the business exponentially to what it is right now, competing in the marketplace and surviving in an extre- in a in a in a fiercely competitive environment for an awful long time, for many years, for two decades, in fact. And that's a pretty good performance. So I, I don't have to take lessons from um, the likes of Khan sitting in his underpants and trading his bets. <laughs> good luck to him. Good luck to him. I, I hope he does well. And, but by comparison to what he can earn and what I earn in life, 
um, he, he's you know he's a pinprick. Khan did a did a fantastic thread on Afghanistan, by the way. Um, apparently, it was bumming Wednesdays when he was in Afghanistan. I love that one. Um, yeah. You know, anyway, that's that's, that's, that's I, I believe it. I'm sure he's a successful, you know, successful trader, and I'm sure he does well. But he's never accepted the obvious. And anybody that looks at Betfair's liquidity cannot argue with the with this central point. It is a diminishing product. It has got a limited shelf life. Everybody knows that it's got a limited shelf life. The markets are disappearing on a daily basis. And it's a very expensive product to run. Every every market on Betfair has to be sent off. It has to be managed. It's, it's, it's an expensive business to run. And, you know, it's no surprise to me that Betfair now is part of the patent power empire and that the, number, the main focus of that company is the sports book. Okay, so all right, so let's move on then to uh, before we come on to a favourite part of Asher, uh, which is the uh, <laughs> the most interesting topic, which is blogger affordability checks. Yeah. Um, where do, where do we stand on this? Okay, so this is this is something that uh, we as a company, obviously, we have to be. Um, compliance and we follow the rules. Um, compliant for what though? It's not law. Well, no, it's a good, it's a good point, um, and I do understand that point. To ask, I mean, I, for example, I, I think myself personally, I've got you know a couple of betting accounts. I'm not a big better for myself because, of course, in as you can appreciate, in every market, I've already got an interest looking at um, what my online operation is doing. So I don't need mm. to have a bet for myself, but I have had accounts. With firms like, for example, Victor Chandler and Betfair, both of those are currently suspended because they've been asking me questions. Uh, it's a bit bizarre because, you know, I've sent both of them, for example, uh, they should know who I am. Um, and I've sent both of them my gambling commission license, which means, <laughs> you know, I'm running major, major online UK uh, betting operation here. They should know this. But the the affordability checks I've been run by complete novices, people that are new into the game, been hired in by the firm to handle this thing, and they wouldn't know who Victor Chandler is, for example. You know, they, 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 they certainly don't know who I am, and it doesn't seem of any importance to them. All that matters to them is to get, is to send out requests to people for P60s, for invoices, for bank statements, for wage states, wage slips, and everything else like that. Now, your point, that you're making is is it legal is are the requests being made by bookmakers um, from punters in order to be compliant to this affordability checking that the gambling commission under neil MacArthur um, uh, 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 has been requesting of the firms my opinion is absolutely not i believe it it, it transgresses the Information Commissioner's Office's mandates on multi-levels. You know, at the end of the day, people have a right to privacy. It isn't the business of William Hill. It certainly isn't the business of Betfair to know how much I or any other of their customers earn in life or, more importantly, what they decide to spend their money on. I believe that these measures laid down by the Gambling Commission were in an effort largely to appeal to placate vocal focus groups on Twitter and certain Labour MPs driving an agenda to 
to essentially big up their own profile, claiming that there was a massive problem gambling issue in the United Kingdom, which there is not. It is a world low, as a matter of fact. Um, and they they drove this agenda and the Gambling Commission felt, I think under MacArthur, felt it was important to be seen to be doing something. And this is what they chose to do. And in my opinion, it was an ill-judged maneuver. It's got them at odds with the Information Commissioner's Office, whose mandate is to protect the, the privacy of people, that to the, the right to somebody's personal information, to, you know, what for, who, who, are, who are these betting companies asking for people's bank statements? We, we have to do it. Well, it, we have to do it. We, this, we is are, this is interesting for you and our listeners that I, I was also a victim of this from, from Betfair and long-term customer. Um, and um, I, I, I was inactive for, for around three weeks due to their suspension of my account, yeah. so to speak. Um, so I produced documents. It got uh, of, of share values, et cetera, et cetera, personal finances. I actually, I actually called the bluff. I just, I just produced it. Still nothing, absolutely nothing yeah, came from Betfair. So what I did, I decided to tag their legal eagles and bigwigs in this. And I, I emailed them and I said, if this doesn't get resolved, uh, I'm, I'm going to take legal action because I don't believe you have the right to have my documentation about my personal financial data. I don't know what right you, rights you have. As soon as I said, as soon as I said that, they reinstated me within 24 hours. Yeah. No questions. I, I, done. I, equally, I challenged with the Information Commissioner's Office the rights of Victor Chandler's operation, VC Bet, whatever they're called, they keep changing their name, um, VC Bet to documentation that they were demanding of me. But personally, as I say, they were complete dumbass. If you don't know who I am and if you don't know that I'm a substantial betting operator and I shouldn't have to, uh, uh, to you know, to to produce affordability checks for the kind of the level of activity that I was doing, which was minuscule by comparison to, you know, my my online business, I mean, totally minuscule. But I challenged it with the Information Commissioner's Office. I received a letter back from the Information Commissioner saying that they agreed with me that the requests being made by a VC bet were out of order, um, were effectively a breach, and that they had been in touch with Victor Chana and they would be in touch with me to sort the matter out. That would have been a minimum of two months ago. I've heard nothing from VCBET yet. I mean, so, the, but it, it, it doesn't bother me not to have the account, but it does, it does show one thing. What the Gambling Commission is requesting of operators and what the Information Commissioner's Office uh, mandate are entire appear to be entirely at odds with each other and I don't know where this all ends up for the time being as far as our operation is concerned we will do we will run our business and be compliant and obey the letter of the law because that's what we have to do to maintain our license and we will do that we will do that diligently but with respect to the customers but it you know, isn't law yeah, I, I, I get that, but who's challenging it? Well, th this is, I mean, this, this, this is the thing. Where's this, you know, this noted, so-called noted, the Horse Race Betters Forum? Where, where are people like that representing the customers and turning around to and writing to the Information Commissioner's Office and writing to the Gambling Commission and saying, excuse me, 
but you're, you know, is it even legal that I'm required to produce a P60 for William Hill? I agree. I agree. They're awful. Show them my net worth. Yeah, they're awful. I mean, I've seen, like I said, there's there's a lot that's on that panel that that literally don't. I don't know. It's, yeah, Simon Rowlands. You've got uh, Martin Hughes. Uh, I know he bets in running for a living, but I mean, what's that? Yeah, you but know, they're, they're, they're useless. They're yeah. all collectively useless because they're not really representative pundits. It's just another moaning forum. You know, it's another it's another Twitter. You know, and so. They're, but they're not acting on behalf of the customers writing letters. One of the most effective mediums that's popped up in the last um, in the last couple of years has been the 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 you know the betting and gaming council that now represents the major online firms. Now, I, I personally, I'm not a member of them, but I've seen many of the steps they've taken, and many of those have driven you know a very effective, responsible gambling message. And it appears to me they've done a very good job. In not in in negotiating on behalf of customers and bookmakers with the politicians, and that's a notable success story. But what I don't see happening is the is the punters themselves steaming into the information commissioner's office with lawyers and sort of saying, "Hold on a second, why is Betfair demanding all this information from us? You know, demanding to know how much I earn." Or, and you know, at the end of the day, I could go into Thrashers tonight. And every night, and I could order myself a couple of cases of wine every night. Nobody would ask me why, you know, uh, where, you know where do I get the money to, to 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 order all this wine? Nobody would care. Nobody would care no. whether, it was, whether it was dangerous for me health-wise or not. Nobody would care. No. You know, I could go and I could I could empty every credit card I like in life on Amazon.com, and nobody would care. Nobody would ask me to prove that I could that I that I. Uh, can afford this money. I could smoke until I chain smoke till I die. I could order X number of billion packets of cigarettes and nobody would care. There's no affordability checks. There is there are no affordability checks in any other industry that I know. You know, it's an entirely unique situation which appears to be singling out the gambling industry for special attention. Why? Because it's popular on Twitter. Because it keeps certain responsible gamble, you know, the focus groups, the ones that scream that everybody should do do as they do as they say, not do as they do. You know, all these virtuous people telling us we shouldn't be gambling, we shouldn't be smoking, we shouldn't be drinking, we shouldn't be driving our cars, and and we must all must have a PCR test if we're four years of age. These these are the type of people who who want to tell us how to live our lives, and and I'm afraid. You know, until we, it'll be a while till we get away and we start, you know, looking at the vast majority of people who do gamble sensibly, who do gamble within their means and, and, and respecting their rights, which is not being respected currently, their rights to privacy and respecting their, the, you know, one thing I think the Gambling Commission and every other regulator should be looking at is the customer experience. How How is the experience of doing business with these companies is it good or has it deteriorated markedly or markedly has. Yeah. you agree with that totally i mean i mean this, this is it i mean why is that why is that of no interest whatsoever to the regulator why are they not focused on the, the customer experience for the punters why is it that they should have to sit on the live chat wait for weeks and weeks and weeks 
for their data to be read by some complete numpty who's just arrived in the game, getting paid 25,000 quid to go through bank statements. What on earth is the right of that company even to demand it? How is that service to that customer being improved? It's, it's, been, it's been marked down. It, it, I've never seen a worse um, situation in terms of customer relations. My own company, we work very, very hard in this department to to negotiate with our customers to try to get them to provide us with with sufficient data, adequate data to be to be compliant within the letter laid down by the gambling commission. That and no more. Well, I would be I would be disappointed, Jeff, in your in your you and your company if you're demanding to see documents. Is that true? Are you demanding to see documents? Yes. Yeah, we have we have to see documents. We Why? Do, it's not law. But we don't. No, I, 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 yet I, I do understand that. But until no, no, it, no, I can't have that argument. No, you don't understand it. It's not law, so it's not requirement. So you, you are I, acting on an elected body, a government quango that basically is requesting that you do something, um, but it's not law. These are my look. It is my opinion. It is my opinion that what the Gambling Commission is is asking the bookmakers to do and how the bookmakers are interpreting that, by the way, um, it, it is, it is, is, is not legal. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't well, know. What well, I'd I take you to court if you if you demanded my IG share account and you demanded my savings account and you demanded everything that that to see that i could afford to bet with jeff banks i i would i would seriously question your credence in law to be able to view that data but look i'm very simple i'm very sympathetic to that point of view i'm not arguing with you about this i you know I, but you know when i for example when i questioned the legality of things with regard to vc bet um it was because they didn't just ask for one thing they asked for about six or seven things. Absolutely, it's like a full. It was like a full financial workup. And you know, when you talk about these full financial workup, this is what Neil MacArthur didn't get. When you do a financial workup on somebody, that's a might. That's a an inspection on somebody's accounts for that particular moment. That's that little that little section of life that month that week you know, of how their finances are and whether they can afford things. How does that change following month? Will it be the same? Of course, well, it's rarely the same. People's finances right. ebb and flow with the, like the oceans. So you're, you're arguing against it, but you're, but you're demanding customers produce it. I, I am mandated to as condition of license. No, uh, no, 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 no. That's not true. It isn't. No. That's not that's not condition true of license. No, not at all. Um, that has to be mandated by government. Has to be passed through Parliament in law. Um, this is not mandated. Bookmakers have seized the opportunity to do this. Why? Why are they doing it? I ask you. Uh, it's, it is it is unclear to me the level of information that's being requested, uh, and I could only draw on my own experience here. You understand. Mm. Um, in terms of what's being asked for by other companies, um, but it is unclear to me the the depths uh, of inspections that are being requested 
and how unrealistic they are, given that we are talking about a, a snapshot in time of somebody's, you know, in, in order for an affordability check to be working, you would have to do it a dozen times a year. I think, you know, people's people's finances flow with the wind, as I say, you know, you would have to do it a dozen times a year. You can't just do it once. And then but, you, but, but you're you're just you're just highlighting to me that this is more sinister than, than takes the eye. Originally, I thought this was incompetence. I thought this was just sheer incompetence um, of Romanian staff at Betfair. Um, you know, like uh, uh, online uh, checklists. You know, where you couldn't speak to a member of staff. I just thought this was just conspiracy. But you're highlighting to me now that that this this is more or less sinister. As in bookmakers are using this to well, potentially. I have, I have taken I have taken this up with, you know, I have you know, the people that work in the gambling commission. I've had many conversations with, um, you know, with officials that work at the gambling commission. I have to say that, that there's an there's an awful lot of extremely bright and intelligent people that work there, and that you know my conversations with them have always been. Um, you know, I wouldn't say friendly, but always been very businesslike and, and things like that. But I think in this regard, they've got things totally wrong. This is the wrong way of going about it. Um, will it, you know, will it change? I hope it will change. They've got a new boss there now. I hope he finds a better way to going about it. Um, I do, you know, I. It's my view. It's my opinion that what is being asked for by the by the betting companies, um, you know, it, it transgresses um, the information commissioners, our rights to privacy, our right to, you know, to 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 run our own lives without being inspected. We're not talking about trying to ask Victor Chandler for a for a mortgage here. You know, no. you're not you're not asking them to give you thirty grand, fifty grand, a hundred grand to buy a house, and therefore they require to look at your finances and everything else like that. You're talking about a situation where the Gambling Commission have decided to, to to control people's gambling by making bookmakers some kind of magre, some kind of Columbo character to try to work out how much somebody can reasonably afford on their betting activity. But more, more sinister than that, as you say, is why it is they feel that bookmakers should be the arbiter of how, of how much when, why, or wherefore somebody decides to spend their money. And, and let's be fair, it's not the CEOs making this decision. It's an ex-bin man that might be might be have got a job with Betfair or Paddy Power that uh, as as you know as as examining someone's personal data and deciding whether they he or she could not could not bet anymore. Yeah. I mean this this yeah. is how serious we're at, and and this. This will have legal, legal, legal reparations. And believe me, you know, I, I, I told Betfair this. To the, have you written to the Information Commissioner's office? Well, well, I, I went to the, I was on the front page of the Racing Post. And believe me, as soon as I, as, as I went bananas at Betfair, the, 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 the Racing Post works for the Racing Post is the arm of the betting. Absolutely, but at the end of the day, they don't like appear on the, the front of the Racing Post as to why an account's, you know, nearly a million pounds in front and he's been barred from. Uh, betting on affordability checks. It makes you know. commercial sense for the Racing Post to represent punters because the you know their 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 biggest sponsors have to be bookmakers. They advertise in the Racing Post every single day, so they're not going to be too sympathetic from your point of view. The right medium to to be asking to are a the Gambling Commission, 
and B, the information commissioner's office and and getting an answer from the, one of the, you know, and, but watch this space. Um, you know, I'm uncomfortable with the situation. Um, and, you know, I'd be uncomfortable if I were you, Jeff, after asking your customers on this basis, because if, if I was one of your customers, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be, you know, looking at my lawyer uh, on this. We, yeah. we, negotiate, we negotiate with our customers and we do things in a civilized and gentlemanly fashion, you know, and if people, if we feel that people are getting, you know, losing more than they, sh- than they, they can reasonably afford, you know, we, it's, it's certainly not, I, I, I don't care what the gambling commission say about, you know, about, you know, in reaction to Twitter or to Caroline Harris or people like that. What interests me in life is that my customers can afford to bet with me. And that they will remain as a customer of mine for the next two, three decades. It is not in my interest to rate them senseless, for want of a better expression, from their earnings and in one little one little cell of life for my for, for, for minor commercial gain for me, and then lose that customer as a customer for 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 years on end because they exclude from me because of that behaviour. It is not in my commercial interest. I I need to make sure that my customers can afford to lose money with me, but we do it in a better, I, I'm, I'm confident one thing, we do it in a better way. Remember the gambling commission is not the law. They, they are recommending on advice, it is not the law. So I advise you as a company to, to go on what you, you feel best. It is not law, it is not set in stone, it is not passed through parliament. This is a government quango and you need to act on that. Anyway, Thanks for that, Andre. Jeff, on that, we, we, we shall finish on blogger and the social aspect uh, regarding the sport. Uh, Rod Street put a, a Twitter thread the other day promoting that racing was uh, thriving from a social aspect. John, you still awake? Yes, I am, yeah. <laughs> John's listening intently. I, I love it. Yeah, I enjoyed listening, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, we, we've had... We've had the obviously, you know, me and you love the blogger and stallion, you know, like it's caused uh, division on Twitter. People like don't like it, but you know, the, the, the some people do like it. I've, I've seen lots and lots of tweets. Uh, it may reevaluate my entire wardrobe, to be honest. <laughs> uh, it's quite interesting. I've been just been while you've been talking, I've just been looking at the racing bloggers' Twitter feed. And I noticed that he's rehashed. He's removed a lot of posts. Uh, certainly, all the all looks like all the York, the drunken posts that came from York appear to have been um, removed, and he's replaced them uh, by rehashing, you know, tweets from seventh of June two thousand and nineteen when blogger met legend Wazin Murphy or Isheen Murphy, sorry, um, and. All the drunken stuff appears to have been removed. Possibly that was in reaction to the fact that I basically called it, um, you know, is acting like a prick. Yeah, and, probably got a nice photo of him at the National Studio holding yeah, yeah. a fall or something. Yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 it's racing, racing, racing is a fun sport and it should appeal to young people and everything else like that. But we're talking about racing. In no other sport do you see either pundits, bloggers, or, or presenters of the sport, or people who desire to be that, because undoubtedly that's what he desires, a, a position on ITV, for example. 
is is what he desires. But in no other sport do you see people go, going on about how bladdered you get, how drunk you can get, and appealing to you know to the the dark side of racing because undoubtedly the amount of alcohol that's consumed and other under other banned substances is the dark side of the sport people are getting very drunk um quite often in you know race at racetracks it is the dark side of sport it's you know i would like to see racetracks focus more on things like coffee and you know creating that much more of a family style you know environment but you know, it's it's extremely profitable and everything else like that. But I look at his posts and I think, well, if I was a if I was a an alcohol, you know, somebody that was only going there to get bladder, to get drunk, uh, you know, the dark side of the sport, or I used, you know, I used drugs, I would look at the kind of posts by him and that complete idiot, his sidekick, whatever they call him, the stallion, um, rolling around in, you know, and pouring alcohol straight from the bottle into his mouth. I would look at that and I would I would say they're doing absolutely nothing for racing, nothing other than uh, the, than treating it like they're acting like a couple of yobbos. They're not doing anything to bring anything new into the sport. It, racing isn't really isn't about going to, going there and getting pissed and, and 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 you know and drinking yourself silly and then going into town afterwards and and you know and rolling around the floor and and then and then and then. And then splashing it all out as if this is what it's all about it's not it's about the posts that he puts out about enable for example which i enjoyed i think a lot of people enjoyed that when enable you know unfortunately got beat at Longchamp for some people so you know when you see things like that you go that's a positive outlook that's good for the sport you know he was cheering on enable enable unfortunately got beat posts like that or interviews with aiden o'brien and things like that they're a positive all the drunken shit that that he can just leave that all behind and for as long as he continues to do that and appeals to not only drunks but people who take banned substances i'm not saying that he does himself take banned substances but he's appealing to them he's appealing to the dark side of the sport and for that to me he's just a wanker and he needs needs to get away from that from that side of things and promote much more of a positive outlook i'm not looking for him to turn into ed chamberlain all fluff and nice and everything's wobbling sweetie two shoes and everybody's marvelous and every race is marvelous i'm not talking about that i'm just talking about presenting a, a more positive outlook that's about the sport and about the and you know and uh, as far as the betting is concerned well you know I, I look at some of the things they put out there he, he he used to do business with us i was not comfortable he came to me i was not comfortable with the level at which he was betting and he was shut down based on the level on which he was betting and rumors within the industry, they're unsubstantiated that he was basically having his accounts wiped off, fake bets, all this kind of stuff. And I did not want to be associated with that. By the way, I've never been involved in things like that. I've no idea whether it's whether any of these rumors are true, but I am not associating my company with that kind of thing if it, if it turns out that way. Fair shout. That's Jeff's response to the blogger. John, anything to add to that? I think Jeff makes a very good point, actually, about the the way racing is marketed to the masses and the presenters of racing, how they're on occasion allowed to just act the goat, if you like. I was watching at the races uh, coverage from Windsor a couple of weeks ago on that night, 
and uh, they were down by the riverbank. There was a couple of jockeys, and they went and jumped in, and then bugger me, Matt Chapman went and jumped in after them. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was highlighted either by at the race, or racing TV, whatever, on Facebook. And I basically put on there that I thought it was a load of shit. And uh, I got torn to pieces over it. Um, I think, I think, I think, look, I'm a fan of Matt Chapman's presentation style. Um, you know, he's he's very engaging. He's very out there. He's, you know, he, he's occasionally outspoken. But you know what? He he he's he's all he's very positive about the sport. He's got a lot of constructive things to say. He is the diametric opposite of people like Stephen Power. He is just the diametric. He is pr- promoting, and he's and by the way, the, what's good about Chapman is the fact that he looks at the good and bad in racing equally, and he's got, he's not afraid to to voice his opinions where he sees something. For example, it was wrong. He's another like Graham Cunningham is another excellent exponent. Lydia Hislop. These are the kind of journalists that I respect in the sport. But you know, as I say, Stephen Power has removed many of the uh, what I would call the offensive tweets from last week. And I hope that you know, if you look at his tweets now, that those that are left on his blog, he's obviously cleaned up his output. And if he continues in that vein, he'll he'll have my support. Doesn't need it. Yeah. I mean, we point out Chapman, Jeff, it wasn't so much that he's not engaging. The, po- the point I tried to make on uh, the Facebook post was that other sports just do not have presenters acting like that in an attempt to sell it to anybody that doesn't particularly like the sport. You know, you wouldn't say Gary Lineker chucking a couple of footballers in the Thames and jumping after you. <laughs> well, you know, but Gary Lineker's terribly dull, isn't he? You know, I mean, he's a good anchor, but he's he's dull as a, you know, he's not got a lot to say in life. I'd much, I'd much rather listen to Roy Keane uh, and people like that. I, I, yeah, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I take your point. I mean, Roy might chuck a couple of people in the Thames. <laughs> yeah. He certainly wouldn't be jumping in after them, would he, unless he was going to... Yeah, no, 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 no. Roy's Roy's right, well out there, but people look, people enjoy listening to him because he's got he's not afraid to no. to to voice his opinion, and, and and from that point of view, I you know I can respect Chapman because you know he, he works for ITV. It'd be very difficult to get literally buried in the fluff, <laughs> you know, when you work for ITV, you know, and Kamani and 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 Ed Chamberlain, you know, and they, they you know, and Ollie Ollie they. They, you know, okay, fine. They, they, they know what the the animal is, and they, you know, the their their viewing figures are quite good. I wouldn't say they're, I wouldn't say they're outstanding, but their viewing figures are quite good, and they understand the ITV product, and yeah. they deliver on the ITV product. And Matt has survived with that company and survived with that network, uh, uh, you know, despite the fact that he is quite outspoken. And I think you have to give him. You know, a little tap on the tap on the back for for, for doing that. Good stuff, uh, John and uh, Jeff. There on uh, commenting on uh, the uh, the sort of media of the sport. There, blogger Chapman, etc., etc. Um, we hope you've enjoyed the show. We've over in our time. Um, it's been a long show, but I'm, I really hope you've enjoyed it. Um, 
we certainly got through a few subjects and big thanks to Jeff for coming on because, you know, it's it's never easy when you know you're the sort of the whipping purse, if you like, or potential whipping purse. Yes, I'll, um, be, I'll be getting some abuse for this. <laughs> possibly. Uh, but, I've, but, tried but, to, I've tried but, to be as honest as I can about things and my father and absolutely and, and how to run business and I respect and there's one one thing I made you on Twitter is that you 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 will take you will take it you you know I, I you know I, I do I do respect that you know in terms of you know whether people agree with you or disagree with you life, life is about characters really. absolutely and maybe maybe Jeff we can have you on maybe Jeff the best wasn't he so you know absolutely I mean me mad and uh, you know but people people enjoy that yeah. And maybe we can have you on the show again sometime for, for another a chewable topic. Very much enjoyed the chat, and I hope I hope your uh, your listeners did too. I think I'm pretty sure they will do. So that's all from us. We'll be back on Friday with the usual uh, bar stewards preview show, and then the normal Sunday sermon. We hope you've enjoyed it. That's all from me, John, and Jeff. Bye for now. <laughs>